Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Let him who steals steal no longer, but rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God is a fragrant aroma. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you just for your word. Lord, and just echoing the words of the song that we just sung, that through your word and the proclamation of it, that we would come to know you, that we would see your glory, that we would see Jesus. Lord, thank you for this passage. Thank you for the words of uh, wisdom and encouragement and exhortation from Paul and how to walk in love. And I would ask God that your spirit would work in us, Lord, to apply um, these words as we uh, go through them together. Lord, I pray that you would help us be attentive to you, that, Lord, you would speak through me, that that I would get out of the way, and that, that you would be the one proclaiming your truth. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, growing up, there were two comic book heroes that I particularly liked. Uh, I wasn't into a lot of them, but there were a couple that stick out to me. My favorite was Spider-Man. Um, I'm not sure exactly why, but maybe it's because he was a you know a science geek who could beat up bad guys. I don't, I don't know, but I really like Spider-Man. But my second favorite was this guy. Yes, the Hulk. Now, apparently, I am the Hulk from... Uh, from what we see from the picture, Megan had a little too much time on her hands this week. But the Hulk was my second favorite uh, comic book hero. And, uh, you know, he was an alter ego of a scientist, uh, another scientist, as a matter of fact, named Bruce Banner. Uh, Bruce Banner was one who uh, did work and experimentation on gamma radiation. And one day an accident took place. He was exposed to this radiation. And rather than killing him, it actually altered his DNA so that in any time that he experienced extreme emotion, especially anger, this guy would come out, the Hulk. He turned from this like 130-pound weakling into this 9-foot, 1,500-pound beast who went around in a fit of uncontrolled rage and destroying everything in his path. Now, I thought of the Hulk this morning because he's probably the, the perfect modern illustration of anger. And our struggle with it. And that, you know, anger is like this hulking mass with inside of us that at times comes out and, and explodes saying or doing destructive things. Things that you never thought you would do uh, when you were not angry. Can you identify with Bruce Banner, with the Hulk? I mean, I, I sure can. I, you know, I, uh, there are many times I had to try to explain to my parents why a hole had suddenly developed in one of the walls in my room. And happened to be shaped the size of my fist as well. So, you know, there were times that, you know, I struggled with that. Now, your Hulk may not come out in, a, in an external way like that. Yours may be, uh, you, you feel that anger and rage inside of you, and maybe you, you boil with inside, or, or, or that, that Hulk, that anger comes out in different ways. Vengeance, perhaps, on others. Bitter feelings, 
maybe perhaps you avoid those that you're angry with or sulk. Or maybe it comes out just in harsh tones or in the way that you say things. Or maybe you are one of those where you have a, a hulk that does show himself externally. Maybe in your anger you've done great harm to a family member or a friend. Maybe you have said things through your words or damaged them even perhaps physically. But all of us, to some extent or another, struggle, struggle with anger. anger. Anger is serious. So much so that Jesus compared it in Matthew 5 to the sin of murder. In fact, anger drove the first murder, didn't it? Cain and Abel. If you remember that story well, right? God was pleased with Abel's offering, but not with Cain's. And so Cain, it says in Genesis 4, 5, became very angry, or literally very hot. And his countenance fell. And God warned him, said, Cain, be careful. Don't let this control you. But Cain didn't listen and killed his brother in cold blood. So it's no surprise that in this section in Ephesians where Paul's talking about how we are to treat one another, how we are to walk in love, that he brings up this whole issue of anger. Anger is a part of, of what we do and who we are. And Paul says in verse 26, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Here Paul gives four brief commands dealing with this subject of anger. And the outline this morning that I have is going to follow basically the three commands given in verse 26. The first point is be angry. The second, do not sin. The third, do not let the sun go down in your anger. Yes, I know it's not a creative outline, but it fits the text. So we're going to go with it. So let's look at that first command, be angry. You know, if you look at these two verses on anger, verses 26 and 27, they follow the same pattern that the other topics do in this section, where we have a positive behavior, a negative behavior, and a reason. Now, Paul says here in this, in this first verse, the very first words he says, it's just actually one word in Greek, be angry. Now, does that command strike you as a little puzzling? It's a little troubling, isn't it? Because isn't anger a sin? Hasn't God said several times that anger is wrong? James 1.19, be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Or Ecclesiastes 7.9, which Ed will get there pretty soon, right, Ed? It's Ecclesiastes 7.9, do not be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. Or even in Matthew 5, that I mentioned earlier, Jesus said in verse 22, He said, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go to fiery hell. These are pretty serious passages. And so, is Paul commanding us to sin? Is he contradicting these texts as well as many others? Is he contradicting himself? Because just a few verses later, in verse 31, he says, Let all anger be put away from you. So what is he talking about here? What does he mean by be angry? Well, some say that it's uh, here, this is what they call a concessive or conditional command, where the idea is, in your anger, do not sin. Or if you do get angry, don't sin. They say that, you know, this this would remove that apparent contradiction. And also, too, uh, this is the only text in the New Testament or in the Bible, in fact, that tells us to be angry. So they say, well, that's got to be an anomaly. This must be some different form of a command. Now, that, that would explain and resolve things, but the problem is there are no clear examples of a concessive or conditional command in the Bible, in the New Testament. And also, if this command to be angry is conditional, then the second one would be too, because they're connected together by that word and. And then we have to figure out, well, what does that mean? 
But the biggest reason be angry here, I think, is taken as should be just a normal, positive command that Paul is giving, is that it follows the pattern of the other verses in this section. It fits the context. Because as I mentioned earlier, every topic that Paul brings up, he looks at from a positive point of view and a negative one. He talks about falsehood versus truth in verse 25, about theft versus giving in verse 28, about unwholesome words versus edifying ones in verse 29, about conflict and reconciliation, verses 31 and 32. And so the fact that he talks about anger from a positive perspective and a negative fits within the pattern that he's given us in the rest of the verses. I think it is a command. Be angry, he's saying. So now we're back to where we started. Well, what does that mean then? What does it mean to be angry? Well, we need to first understand something. Anger is a what? It's an emotion, right? Anger is a feeling. It's something that resides within us that that comes out. It's a response from within. If I were to tell you right now, I want you to, to be angry right now, you couldn't. I would have to say or do something that would conjure up that feeling within you. And that perhaps might happen a little later in the sermon from some of the things I have to say. I like how Puritan pastor Richard Baxter defined anger. He said it is the rising up of the heart in passionate displacency against an apprehended evil, which would cross or hinder us of some desired good. Robert Jones, I think, updates the, the, the English there in, in giving his definition in his book on uprooting anger, where he says, Our anger is our whole person active response of negative moral judgment against perceived evil. You see something, you hear something, you experience something, and you decide, hey, that's not right, whether it's against you or someone else. And so this, this anger, this feeling, stirs up within you in response to that. Now, this emotion of anger is not necessarily a bad thing. Richard Baxter added, anger is given us by God for good, to stir us up to a vigorous resistance of those things which, within us or without us, do oppose his glory or our salvation or our own or our neighbor's real good. So Baxter says, you know, if you, if you see sin taking place, if you see God being dishonored, if you see a neighbor being harmed, God gives us this emotion of anger to take action to deal with that. Again, anger in itself isn't bad. In fact, God the Father and God the Son both express anger, right? Ephesians 5, 6, just in the very next chapter, Paul says the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Or Romans 1, 18, for the wrath of God, the anger of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the righteousness of men. Or in fact, what did we just do here a few minutes ago? We celebrated communion together, right? That is a ceremony in part that is celebrating the wrath of God. You ever think about it that way? That God would put his son on a cross... And his son was put there to suffer the wrath of God against our sin. And it was a, a bloody experience. You know, that cup of juice. The, why, was it, why do we have a cup of juice? What does that signify, symbolize, remind us of? Blood. Blood. And Jesus spilt a lot of it on our behalf. Suffering the wrath of God, the anger of God against sin. That we would despise and rebel against a holy and perfect and loving God angers him, and rightly so. Jesus, in Mark 3, 5, as the Pharisees were looking at him with disdain as he was helping and healing on the Sabbath, it says in Mark 3, 5 that Jesus looked at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. 
Or what did Jesus do when he came upon the temple at the beginning of his ministry and at the end and he, he saw them uh, uh, money changing hands and people selling things, taking advantage of others? What, was he okay with that? What did he do? He said, stop it. Get out of here. Knock it off. This is my father's house. Not a place of business to make money, to take advantage of people. And he threw them out. He wasn't happy about that and rightly so. Or in Psalm 2.12, it says this of Jesus, Do homage to the Son, lest He become angry, and you perish in the way, for His wrath may soon be kindled. This is Jesus, text is talking about. God even commends individuals at times in Scripture for the expression of anger that they displayed on, on God's behalf or in response to sin. Phineas is an example in Numbers 25. So there is indeed such a thing as a godly anger, a holy, a righteous anger. It's an anger that is stirred when one sees God being dishonored or or sees sin being committed against someone else. In fact, it's interesting in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 11, Paul commends the Corinthians for their anger and indignation at their own sin that he exposed from his letter uh, to them before. But it seems that the, the church today uh, is not so offended by sin anymore. It seems that we tend to shy away from speaking out against evil. From not, We don't get angry at injustice. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, We seem to have lost the capacity to be roused morally by a sense of indignation. This is to me one of the major problems in the world today. There's been a steady decline in morals. Not only in behavior, but in outlook and in reaction. We merely shrug our shoulders and allow sin to go unrebuked. And saints, we we need to call sin, sin. We need to declare what God says is right and wrong. When children are being murdered by the millions, we need to speak. When God's design for marriage is mocked and, and redefined, we have to respond to that. When those committing rape and abuse are barely punished, when God is being openly mocked and ridiculed. I I remember seeing a clip of a a certain concert where uh, the the singers, Marilyn Manson, in fact, had had a Bible and he was he was reading passages from and he was cursing God and he was cursing those outside the stadium who had had come to preach the gospel. Oh, it was just vile and wicked. And it bothered me. It made me mad. To see him say and do those things against God. When Jesus' name is used as a curse word. More than in prayer. These things should bother us. These things should stir in us an emotion, a feeling of anger. If you tried to attack my kids, I'm not going to sit by and say, Oh, well, these things happen. You know, people do this. Or if you were to say something nasty about my bride, I'm not going to be silent about that. You can't do that. You can't say that. These are my kids. That's my wife. Knock it off. How much more so, God, when he is defamed and dishonored? Do we sit silent? Listen? This doesn't mean I'm not calling you to be hateful, to to start making bombs and blowing up places or or killing people or, or responding meanly or nasty or holding up signs that say, you're wicked, you're going to hell, burn, burn forever. No, we're not to respond sinfully in regards to that anger. But, but our anger should move us to say something. It should move us to speak for God. It, it should move us to proclaim the gospel. Because that's how God dealt with sin, right? On His Son. 
That wrath was taken there. And that's the message we need to carry. And, and there are times when you see injustice and sin and God being spoken against where you need to speak. I remember one time I was having lunch with some co-workers. And I don't know how we got on the topic, but somebody brought up a, this issue of abortion. And, you know, there needs to be a choice and all of this. And, and it bothered me. And so I said something. And I tried to be gracious, but I think I lost a friend that day. But the point was, this isn't right. It's just not right. Now, God doesn't need us to to speak. He can do fine just on his own, thank you very much. But we should. It's what's right. Again, it doesn't mean to be hateful or or rude or crude. So Paul here in Ephesians 4.25 commands us, be angry. Now, if you look at this command within the context, I think it's an anger that he's focusing on a more specific issue. And that is when we see mistreatment of others in the body. When we see others undermining unity within the church, he's talked about uh, not walking as our as our in our old wicked ways. When we see sin taking place in the body of Christ, that's the context. When you see these things, there should be a, a, an emotion of anger that's stirred within you against it. We need to respond. It should take us to the point of action, right? If we see someone in sin, we need to go to them. We've talked about that. When we see some, someone being wronged, we need to go. When we see un- unity being attacked or undermined within our church, we need to react to that in a godly way. And that's why Paul cautions us, be angry and don't sin. Because fact of the matter is, you know, we need to respond to wrong being done, but we need to do it in a right way, right? How do you tell the difference? How do you know whether the anger that you are exhibiting is righteous or holy or sinful anger? What's the difference? We like to think that when we're angry, it's godly, right? I have a right to be. One man said, my anger is righteous indignation. And other people's anger is sheer bad temper. Right? I don't have a problem, but boy, you guys sure do. Well, Robert Jones gives three helpful criteria to identify righteous anger. Three, three ways to see, is, is the anger that I'm experiencing and exhibiting godly or not? The first thing he says is righteous anger reacts to actual sin. Not if the clothes are not folded as you want them to be, or traffic isn't going the way you would like, or your favorite team doesn't win. That's not righteous anger. It has to be in response to something the Bible says is sin. And secondly, righteous anger focuses on God and his concerns, and his kingdom, not on our own. I mean, what motivations drive your anger? What bothers you more, that that God was wronged or that you were? That's the idea. Sinful anger is primarily concerned about how I'm being treated, not how God is. And thirdly, righteous anger, and here's where a lot of us get tripped up on this, righteous anger expresses itself in godly ways. In other words, that that anger that, that you're experiencing, it doesn't result in sin. You don't respond to righteous anger by then sinning. Name-calling or bitterness or physical abuse or vengeance, the silent treatment, all of these betray a sinful anger. And if we're honest with ourselves, most of the time our anger is sinful anger. In fact, that's why nearly every time the Bible brings up human anger, it brings it up and it's talking about sinful anger. So let's consider Paul's second command. Do not sin. Paul tells us to have a a righteous anger when sin's happening in the body, but not to let it become this selfish, sinful anger. And he has good reason to warn us, because sinful anger is serious. Sinful anger 
is serious. It isn't to be trifled with. It's not to be tolerated or ignored. And that's why Paul gives this sense of urgency in his very next statement. He says, don't let the sun go down in your anger. It is important you deal with it quickly. And one important reason that we need to address sinful anger quickly is that it is dangerous. Sinful anger is dangerous. Proverbs twenty five twenty eight says, Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. Picture he gives is a, a defenseless city, one where anything can happen. There, any type of corruption or attack or villainy can take place within it because there's no protection. There's no restraint. Cain murdered Abel in anger, right? Moses, how come he didn't get to go into the promised land? There wasn't enough space? No, he got angry. He struck the rock out of anger. God said he was dishonored by that. Stephen was murdered by an angry mob. Or Saul, who can forget his anger against David, right? What did he try to do to David? More than once, right? He was trying out for the Olympic team in the javelin throw, right? He tried to nail him to the wall to kill him. And it didn't stop there. If you remember, uh, Jonathan, Saul's son, stood up for David and said, David's not trying to undermine you or rebel against you. And Saul said, he got so angry, he grabbed another spear. Would someone please keep them away from this guy? He grabbed another one and he threw it at his son, trying to kill him. His own son. He got so mad, he almost took him out. Anger is dangerous. I mentioned some time ago about the mother who, who took her baby and beat her boyfriend with her baby because she was mad at her boyfriend. Unbelievable. Now you may think, yeah, I got a problem with anger, but I would never do that. Really? I'd add the word yet. Because if you were to ask that mother a few months or a year or two years before, would you ever take your baby and hit somebody you were angry with with your baby? What would she have said? Oh, yes, I've pondered that very thing. Yeah, I think I would. She'd say, no way, are you crazy? I'd never do that. Anger is dangerous. It's powerful. You must deal with it because you're a danger when you're angry. You're a danger to yourself and to others. And even if not, you're, that, you're not that explosive Hulk type that's going to blow out and, and do things. You know what? That doesn't mean it won't happen someday. I knew a young man who uh, had buried his anger for years. He was a very timid, mild, peaceable man. And, but he had suffered some things. Uh, his dad had committed various abuses against him. And, and one day he went over to his dad's house, knocked on the door, and he stood there with a sawed-off shotgun. And when his dad opened the door, he pulled the trigger couldn't believe it anger needs to be dealt with it's very dangerous and second you need to deal with sinful anger because it damages relationships that goes without saying proverbs fifteen eighteen says a, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife he brings conflict and 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 fighting and quarreling around him sinful anger produces hurtful words and hateful actions conflict all of these only damage relationships Right after a heated argument where you've expressed anger toward one another, do you feel close to that person? One day at Office Depot over here, I was coming back from the store, coming back to the church, and I saw this older couple walking toward their car. And the woman was just berating the man as they're getting in toward the car. She's saying, you're, you're so stupid. I, I don't know how you would get along in this world, how you made it this far. You're such an idiot. And she kept yelling at the guy. And they got in the car, and she's still going at it. And I remember looking at the man's face. And he was, he was hurt, he was embarrassed, 
He was discouraged. It's very sad. She did so much harm to him in her anger. And anger damages relationships even among godly people. You remember Paul and Barnabas in Acts 15, right? Paul says, hey, let's go back and visit some of the churches that we established in our first journey together. And Barnabas says, hey, that's a great idea. Let's take Mark along. And Paul goes, no, no. (laughs) You kidding me? That kid bailed out on us last time. I don't want to bring him along. And Barnabas says, no, no, you got to give him another chance, Paul. Come on. And what happens between the two of them? Acts 15.39 says, There occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. (laughs) Amazing. These two godly missionaries, they were a key to the early mission movement on planet Earth to spread the gospel. These two men got in a heated argument and parted ways because sinful anger. How many children have left home never to return because of an angry parent? How many marriages end in divorce or go on in total disharmony because of anger? How many relationships in the church have been ruined because of anger? How many are alone having no friends or family because of their sinful anger? Brothers and sisters, we need to deal with this. We need to deal with it in our own hearts and among one another so that the body of Christ isn't harmed, so that your family isn't harmed. Don't take your anger lightly or assume that it doesn't affect anybody. Anger always affects others. Always. Is that what you want? Do you want your family to live in fear of you or to avoid you or to not want to have anything to do with you because of your anger? Do you want to lose those you love? Do you want to die alone? Deal with sinful anger because it damages relationships. And thirdly, also deal with sinful anger because it dominates. Right? Proverbs 19, 19 says, A man of great anger will bear the penalty, for if you rescue him, you only have to do it again. Somebody gets angry, they, they do something they shouldn't, they suffer the consequences for it, and you go and bail them out and help them. Solomon says, hey, you know what? Don't bother. They're just going to do it again. That's because sinful anger is, is, is dominating. It's controlling. You remember what God told Cain, right? Hey, Cain... Sin's crouching at the door, and its desire is to dominate you. But you must subdue it. What was the sin crouching at Cain's door? It was anger. Sinful anger. Left unchecked, anger grows. It grows like crabgrass in the heart, and and it becomes insatiable and and dominant, and it, it looks for every opportunity to lash out. And those of you that live with angry people know what I'm talking about here. But like the alcoholic, the angry person says, there's not a problem. I can control it. I'm working on it. Nothing's going to happen. Again, I would say yet. Anger is so dominant that it deceives. Paul talked about the deceitful lusts in Ephesians 4.20. The angry person, the biggest problem they have is they, they usually don't see their own anger. They see it as an issue outside of them, right? If that person would just stop doing this, I wouldn't get angry. If she would would just do this, then I wouldn't get mad. Or that person makes me so angry. No, they don't. They don't make you angry. They may tempt you to anger. But who's the one that makes you angry? That's right, you. Anger, like any sin, is a choice. 
Proverbs 16.32 says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. Anger is a sin which you choose to engage in and one that will dominate you. Paul gives a fourth reason himself to deal with sinful anger in verse 27 when he says, It is a door of opportunity for the devil. This one scares me. If you don't deal with your sin, sinful anger, it's like, it's like rolling out the welcome mat to Satan. It's like putting a, a neon sign above you saying, open for business. The devil will, will take your anger and use it as an opportunity. Because when you are angry, you're most susceptible, you're most vulnerable, you're most temptable. Because you're out of control. Or the, you're on the verge of it. Don't give Satan a foothold. Don't give him an opening because sinful anger produces all other kinds of sins, doesn't it? Proverbs twenty nine twenty two says, An angry man stirs up dissension, and a hot-tempered one commits many sins. Anger is just the first one. It's the locomotive with a train of sins ready to come behind it. Sin not only occurs and dominates within your life, but, but your anger also will produce or, or, or tempt others to sin as well. Proverbs twenty two twenty four warns us, Don't associate with a man given to anger or go with a hot-tempered man, or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. Right? When you're around an angry person, does it promote joy, peace, and harmony in your own heart? Is it a calming influence in the circumstance? Oh, it's, it's so neat to hear you say these things. I'm so encouraged by you. No, it promotes a hostile environment, and it can draw you in. Anger promotes anger. It's not an accident that the child of an angry person struggles with anger themselves. In fact, it's interesting, the, the writers of the, uh, the whole comic series, they, in the biography of Bruce Banner, they talk about how Bruce's father was an alcoholic, abusing dad who ended up murdering his mom. And that really produced struggles within Bruce Banner himself. Those who live in an angry home tend to produce an angry home. And we see this in Genesis 4. Right after Cain is banished, Moses writes in the genealogy of Cain. And one of the individuals that he specifically points out is Lamech. Listen to what Lamech says to his wives. Verse 23 of chapter 4 of Genesis. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech. Give heed to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. Ladies, I'm warning you, listen up, don't upset me or else. A neat guy, huh? What a great guy. Talk about an angry and controlling man. Parents, do you want to pass on a legacy of anger to your kids? Do you want your children to grow up to abuse their spouse or to say hurtful things or yell at their kids or to be angry all the time? Parents, do you want them to hate you? Do you want them to hate others? Deal with your anger now. Resolve to be done with it. Confess it to your family. They know about it anyway. But tell them and admit it. I'm struggling with this. Forgive me. Help me. Deal with your anger before it destroys your home. Don't let the devil have a window of opportunity. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 4.26, Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Deal with it quickly. That's our third point. Let's talk about how. How do we deal with sinful anger? You know, some say you just need to vent it, let it out. Find some way to, to, to let it blow. Well, that's dumb. Proverbs twenty nine eleven says, A fool always loses his temper, but a wise man holds it back. 
Letting it out is wrong and it's dangerous. It's like having a nuclear warhead and say, I'm just going to let a little energy out of this thing. <laughs> Others say, well, what you need to do is, is practice relaxation techniques like breathing deeply or, or slowly repeating a calming phrase or, or picture a peaceful scene in your mind or, or practice meditation or, or yoga or some other form of exercise. Others say that you need to change your environment. Find some hobby or activity to take your mind off of your problems. Uh, Be around positive or happy people. Watch a funny movie or read a comic book, except for the Hulk. (laughs) Or change your environment by getting away from these things that make you angry and these people that upset you. Give yourself a break from that person or circumstance. Now, some of these things actually can be very helpful, practical things. But the problem is they only deal with it in the short term. They're just dealing with a behavior, a symptom but not the cause. And you can, you can put a bucket under a, a dripping, under dripping ceiling, but that's not fixing the leak in the roof, does it? To fix anger, we need to know where it comes from. And Jesus tells us where it comes from. Where does all sin come from, brothers and sisters? From our hearts, right? Mark 7, Jesus says, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries. All these evil things proceed from within. They, they come out from within. Or Galatians 5.19, Paul says, The deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. Those are the deeds of the flesh. You see, the problem with anger isn't from outside of you, right? is it? It's, it's from within. And you'll never fix your anger by blaming your parents, blaming your circumstances, blaming someone else, blaming your personality. You know, I'm just, I'm just wired that way. So what does that mean? That I have to put up with it then? No, you need to recognize your problem with sinful anger is just that. It's your problem. James 1, 4, 1 talks about that, right? What's the source of quarrels and conflict among you? That idiot jerk that just said that? Is that the source? No. He says, is it not the source, your pleasures, your lust, your desires, which wage war within your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You envy and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. James says that your anger problem is is inside of you, bud. You need to deal with it. It's what you're getting. You're not getting what you want or enough of what you want. What it comes down to is what or who you treat as most important in your life. Because ultimately, as with any besetting sin, sinful anger is a worship problem. You've got your focus on the wrong person. It's a manifestation of something you're worshiping more than God. And when somebody comes in and pokes that something, you get mad. Anger's a wonderful idol detector. Just notice in your own life, what are those things that seem to tempt you most to be angry? That's the thing you might be loving more than God. So if you really want to turn from your sinful anger, you need to focus on who you're worshiping. You've been created to worship God, right? That is where our focus needs to be. So if you struggle with sinful anger, the first thing you need to remember is God is worthy. God is worthy. He's worthy of your worship. And that's that's really essentially the difference between righteous and sinful anger. Sinful anger says, you are worthy to be worshipped. Righteous anger says, God is. Psalm 8, I think, is a great 
passage in, in exalting the worthiness of God where David says, O Lord, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. When I consider your heavens, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, the work in the fingers of your fingers, excuse me, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you should take thought of him or the son of man that you should care for him? See, David, as he focused on the exalted, glorious God that he worshipped, he realized just how small he was as a mere creature. David ponders his majesty and greatness. And as we do more of that, as we develop a clearer and deeper picture of who God is and his worthiness to be worshipped, then your affection will be drawn to him. You'll be looking for your satisfaction in him and not in somebody else. Because when we try to, to find it and demand it from circumstances or from people or situations, that's where we get into trouble. That's where anger comes out. Because we're trying to grab something from someone else that we're only to get from God. In your presence is fullness of joy. In God's right hand are pleasures forever. Sinful anger will dissipate as you meditate on the worthiness of God. And second, you need to remember, not only is God worthy, He's also sovereign. We talk about that a lot for a reason. His sovereignty is so important, not only to understand theologically, but to allow that to permeate your heart so that you recognize that, that the circumstances around you, the people around you, who's in control of all of that? Who? God is, right? And we know this, but you know what? When you get angry about a situation or a person that... A situation that God allowed, what are you telling God in the end? God, I don't like what you're doing. You have no right to do this. I know better what I want and need. So knock it off. That's what anger is saying to God. Saying, God, you've, you've blown it here. If I think in Scripture of anyone who had a right to be angry, it was Joseph, right? Guy sold into slavery by his brothers, ends up suffering, doing time in prison unjustly. Key years of his life were lost. And then tables are turned, right? God makes him vice Pharaoh. Brothers come back into, come into the land. And Joseph had his chance when their father died. His brothers got scared, right? So, uh-oh. <laughs> Joseph is the man in charge now. <laughs> and we're in trouble. And you remember what Joseph said, right? Joseph didn't take revenge. He did not uh, explode in anger. He did not uh, do what he could have done. He was in a position to do. But instead, listen to what he tells his brothers Genesis 50, verse 19. Don't be afraid, for am I in God's place? That's not my job. As for you, you meant evil against me. I know that. What you did was bad. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. See, Joseph didn't get angry because he rested in the sovereignty of God. And brothers and sisters, this is so important to see here. Because our temptation is to take vengeance, right? It's to lash out. But if we recognize, you know what? God's in control of this. He allowed this thing not to go the way I wanted to. He allowed that person to say that thing to me or to do that to me. And he has a good purpose behind it. And I need to trust him. So rather than get angry, trust in God. And this, this principle is very helpful to me because I'm the seething type. I'm the, I'm the inner Hulk kind of dude. So that picture was a lie. That really wasn't me. No, I, I struggle with it, and it comes out in subtle ways, a harsh tone, uh, um, angry, you know, or harsh words, unkindness, you know, my body language, those kinds of things. 
And you know what? When things wouldn't go my way or I get interrupted or something like that, I had to tell myself, you know what? God is God's the one controlling these events. I need to remember that. I can't be angry with him. Meditating on God's sovereignty is so critical. That's why James could say, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. And thirdly, remember that God is judge. God is judge. Right? Because we want to take matters into our own hands, don't we? Especially for sins committed against us. But Romans twelve nineteen says, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And as much as you were wronged or offended, who was sinned against even more? God was, right? Sometimes I don't think we believe that. But it's true. God was. So let him take care of it as he sees fit. That's how Jesus approached situations. 1 Peter 2.22, it says, Jesus committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he didn't revile in return. And while suffering, he uttered no threats but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. What kept Jesus from lashing out with his tongue? What kept him from responding in anger? What kept him from going, there, you're done. I've destroyed you. What held Jesus back from those responses? He entrusted himself to him who judges righteously. Jesus knew God would deal with it. And he knew God was going to deal with it soon on him. On the cross, he carried out his wrath upon him. We need to do the same. Don't take it upon yourself to judge. You're not going to be a just one anyway. Only God can do that. Let a perfectly holy and righteous God take care of the situation. So when you're tempted to sinful anger, remind yourself, okay, God is judge, God is sovereign, God is worthy. And fourthly, remind yourself, God is gracious. Ephesians 4:31. We just read that at the beginning. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice, but be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. That word forgive there's the word grace. It's literally gracing one another as God has graced you. He's shown you mercy, right? He's shown you forgiveness. We're to do the same thing. Again, God has more of a right to be angry against us than we do of anyone else. We've wronged Him severely, terribly, and He's been merciful. So these are the things we need to focus our attention on. God's grace, His sovereignty, His worthiness, His, the fact that He is judge. If you meditate on these truths, really focus on them. You'll see anger diminish in your life. You'll see the, the self-worship that produces anger turn into worship of God that produces forgiveness. But some of you may be thinking, well, anger, I, it's too strong. I mean, there are times where something happens and I just snap. I don't even think about it. I'm automatically doing or saying something I know I shouldn't. I'm angry. There's no way I can control it. It's too much a part of me. Well, God's bigger, isn't he? What did Paul say Galatians 5.16, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. One of them being outbursts of anger. Paul further said, if you're walking by the Spirit, it is the fruit of the Spirit that will be displayed in your life. And what are some of those fruits? What are some of the fruits? Excuse me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, 
gentleness, self-control, right? All the things anger is not. And God's saying through Paul, if you walk by the Spirit, if you're submitting to Him, if you're focusing your worship on the Lord, if you're spending time with Him in His Word, if you're praying, if you're fellowshipping with other saints, if you're dealing with sin in your life and confessing it, Paul's saying as you're doing these things, the sin of anger, those outbursts of anger will not happen in your life, but that you will display self-control and peace and patience. That's true, beloved. It's true. We need to trust in that. And to remember, too, the encouraging words from Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, and yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's just saying, you know what? Jesus gets it. He understands the struggle. So when we go to him and say, Jesus, help, I am struggling with this anger so much. Jesus says, I understand. And the grace is there to help. I just want to add a few more things, just some practical considerations. Let me close with a few ways in addition to these of dealing with anger. And the first is to call sinful anger what it is. Don't mask it in terms like, I'm just frustrated, or I'm having a bad day, or I'm miffed, or I'm disappointed, or I'm bothered, or I'm annoyed. No, you're being sinfully angry. Call it that. And we need to do that so, so then you rightly confess it as such and repent from it. Confess to God and to those you've sinned against. And secondly, don't let anger fester. That's why Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. That's a proverbial statement. He didn't mean if you don't deal with it by 7 p.m. tonight that you're in sin. The point there is that deal with it quickly. Don't let time pass or you're giving the devil a window. Don't let time pass. You need to ask God to help. Pray for, pray for that help and then resolve the situation peaceably. Do it quickly. Thirdly, if you're in a situation where you feel like the Hulk's about ready to make an appearance, then hold your tongue. Shut your mouth. Don't say another word. Because when you do that, what's going to happen? In your anger, what comes out? Damage. Deal with it in your heart. It's still sin going on in there. But at least prevent yourself from damaging those around you Leave the room if you have to. That's what Joseph did when Potiphar's wife went after him. He took off. Maybe you need to do that sometimes just to keep the sin from resulting in further damage. Hold your tongue. Proverbs seventeen fourteen says, The beginning of strife is like letting out water, so abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. That's a great word picture because, you know, if you've seen those movies or situations where a dam's starting to break, right, and the water's coming out, What's going to stop it at that point? Right? Nothing. It's going to blow out. Nothing's going to hold it back. And that's what happens with conflict and and anger. And if you sense the dam is about to break, then what you need to do is let the other person know that, you know what, it'd be best right now to table this discussion. And that doesn't mean you avoid it forever. You need to deal with it. But in that moment, when the dam cracks, it's over. So, so get away from it. Get away from it. Take some time to cool off, pray, ask God to give you the grace to discuss that issue peaceably. And for those of you maybe that live with an angry person, 
There's a few things you need to consider. One is how you respond. So critical. Proverbs 15.1. You know this verse. A gentle answer turns away wrath, right? But a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 15.18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger calms a dispute. These two verses are golden. Patience gentleness if you're around somebody that they're venting and they're angry your response needs to be god help me with this and listen listen patiently and respond calmly and that may not guarantee it but it will help in fact that's how abel or abigail pacified david when he was very mad she came to him graciously and calmly the bread didn't hurt either But if the person continues in their anger or it just seems to be getting more, then you need to excuse yourself respectfully. Proverbs 22, 24 says, again, Do not associate with a man given to anger or go with a hot-tempered man, or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. You need to to basically say, I need to excuse myself because I'm going to be tempted to, to be angry here in a minute. So please excuse me. This doesn't mean you get a pass to not ever talk about the issue. What you need to do is let that person know, you know, I want to discuss this. This is important. I can, I can tell from, from uh, how, how you're responding this is a big issue, and I, I want to deal with it. But right now, if we keep going, I'm going to be tempted to be angry too. And nothing's good is going to come out of that. And that's how you need to say it. Now, sometimes I know that person won't stop, and that only fuels the anger. But follow the instruction of the Proverbs here and do the best you can to to remove yourself from the situation in that moment. And you know what, too? Pray for those who struggle with anger. Sometimes that's hard to do because they've probably hurt you. Or you might see that as an issue you don't struggle with. But you know what? We have sins, too. All of us have sins that are difficult and trials and struggles. We need to be empathetic towards those caught in this enslaving sin of anger and pray for them and as best you can avoid tempting them to anger you know you know the situations you know the circumstances where they might be tempted do the best you can to keep from doing that now that doesn't mean you can't do anything but again just be sensitive but if that person continues in anger and on a regular basis matthew 18 tells you to do what if your brother sins go to your brother in private and show him his fault. Jesus told us to do that. But if he won't listen, then bring others into the process. And I know for some of you that is a frightening prospect. If you're in a situation where you are scared, where you're concerned about how the other person may respond, talk to an elder, talk to a pastor, and, and let them know the situation, and, and they will give you wisdom in how to navigate through that. And remember, if you are in a situation where you're being physically threatened or abused, then call the police. God has put them there for that reason, for protection for you. Now, some people I know think, well, especially if they're a woman in that circumstance, that if I call the police, I'm being unsubmissive. You know what? Your spouse is being unsubmissive to the Word of God. And God has put protection in our lives in order to keep those around us from doing harm or breaking the law. Your spouse's anger doesn't give them a right to break the law. So it's okay to let the authorities know. And at the same time, call an elder and let them know so that the church can be involved in shepherding you through that difficult circumstance. There's so much more I'd like to say about this, but but ran out of time. This is such an important issue. Anger is 
is incredibly, incredibly impactful, both for good and for evil. Uh, I'll put some resources on our website where you can get more help. Um, I'll put some books and things, some sermons and various things on there. Uh, one book I would highly recommend is Uprooting Anger by Robert Jones. Very helpful. But brothers and sisters, I, I hope from our discussion this morning, you see just how important it is to deal with sinful anger. And if you have a spouse or a child or a friend that says you have an anger problem, listen to them. Don't ignore that. Take that as from the Lord. I once visited a hospital ward. It was full of terminally ill children. And these were terminally ill children who had no guardian. They'd either been abandoned by their parents or um, had been taken from their parents because of abuse. And they were uh, left here alone in this hospital dying. And I came into this uh, room uh, where there was this little, little girl, this toddler. She was laying in a crib. Um, TV was on in front of her, but she wasn't staring at the television. She just the whole time is looking up at the wall. Tubes are coming in her from every place. A drool is running down her mouth. Snot's coming out of her nose. And she's just sitting there completely unresponsive. I said hello to her and nothing. Completely unable to interact with those around her. And it was amazingly sad. And I asked the nurse who was showing me around. I said, what happened to this little girl? And she said, well, her father got angry one night. And he shook her to make her stop crying. So here was this beautiful, sweet little girl imprisoned in a vegetative state. All because her dad got mad and couldn't control himself. Like a city that's broken into without walls, so is a man who has no control over his spirit. I'll never forget that little girl because she she was a picture of what anger does. It is so serious. Don't ever, don't ever let that be you. Let's pray. Lord, that is my prayer. Don't, don't, don't let us, God, do something like that. God, if any of us in here are struggling with anger, God, use your word as a warning sign today for them to seek help from you, God, and from their brothers and sisters around them. Lord, prevent us from doing anything that would bring dishonor to you, that would bring harm to your body or harm to our loved ones or those around us. God, I pray that we would walk in love. I ask, God, that you might do a a work in us. Lord, that our body would reflect the Lord Jesus Christ, would glorify and honor him. Father, give us grace, for we need it, Lord. These sins that we struggle with are are so difficult, especially this sin of anger. God, we lean on you now and trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.